Welcome to Hit Your Second Shot First with Paul Horton, the PGA of Canada's National Teacher of the Year and National Coach of the Year. I'm Bruce Dobigan, and we are live at the Paul Horton Golf Channel Teaching Academy at Heritage Point Golf Club in Calgary, Alberta. The Canadian golf season is heading into the back half of the season, and across the country, players are dealing with extremes of all kinds of weather. Meanwhile, Horty talks about the elements, how to deal with blazing heat or stiff wind or even the smoke from the forest fires that have plagued the West. In Paul's Pointers, we will tackle the voodoo of sand play. It scares many inexperienced players, but it can be a reliable shot for a more experienced player. Paul will guide us on the tricks and the trade of sand play. We've seen all four majors in the PGA season this year. We've only got the FedEx Cup and the Ryder Cup left on the schedule. So let's take stock of who Horty thinks is the player of the year and the Canadian of the year. So without further ado, let's bring in Paul Horton here at the Golf Channel Teaching Academy. Good to see you again. Hi, Bruce. Uh, welcome to Heritage Point and the Golf Channel Academy. Always, always nice. We're indoors today. If the sound's a little different from the early we're indoors today. Maybe a little bit of weather outside, so we thought we'd bring it indoors. Uh, we're seeing all sorts of extreme weather again this summer, from the blazing heat to the tropical downpours to even smoke from forest fires. Players sometimes have to deal with all this stuff. It affects our game for sure, but what do we do when Mother Nature takes a hand in the game? First, how do we adapt our expectations when the weather makes it tough? Well, I think we have to be prepared for whatever that weather brings. Um, you also have to understand that the conditions may get tougher uh, in certain aspects of, of play, and, and it's going to be tougher for everybody. So there's a mental uh, hurdle to, for players to get over as well. Is the idea that, you know, you're coming out, oh boy, I'm going to shoot in the 70s or the 80s, whatever I usually shoot, and expect you're going to do that? Do you have to come in and say, you know what, this may be a day where I'm going to shoot five over my regular, but that'll still be a good round? I think in terms of expectations, it depends on the player. Some play better without expectations, and some play better with expectations. So uh, I would say that, you know, certainly I think wind is the, the most difficult uh, element to play and especially if it's if it's strong and gusty uh, generally the scores will go up and and I think the expectation of most players would be hey it's going to be tough for everybody and, and let's just uh, let's stay patient you mentioned the wind let's deal with it we're on our tee box there's a two stroke a two, a two club wind in our face how do we approach this? Are we choking up in the club? I mean, we've all heard that old expression, when it's breezy, swing easy. Is, 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 that, the, is that the motto to take? I think it is. Uh, you know, Tom Watson said years ago that, that solid contact was the biggest thing for him, and he won five British Opens. And he, I had lunch with him a few years ago, and, and he said he never really tried to knock the ball down. He just hit it solid, and, and the wind would affect it less. Um, obviously, you want to take what the wind gives you. If you're going into a two-club wind, it's and then you got a long par four. You know, you, you may want to try and flight your driver down if, if you're skilled enough to do that uh, to, to keep it lower. But you know, take what it gives you and just try not to to hit it harder. The temptation is to swing harder because you're going into a, a breeze and the the ball's not going to go as far. I think um, you know after solid contact, if you can flight the ball down. Uh, if needed, you know, that's a skill that, that would be helpful um, and, and takes take more club to avoid hitting too hard. So if it's normally a, 
a seven iron, you know, it might be a six or a five, but not just because of wind, but because you can take some of the spin off the ball. If you hit the ball too hard, um, it can apply more spin and more backspin and therefore tends to rise up in the air a little quicker. I was going to say there's always that scramble on the tee box as everybody figures how many clubs to go in which direction when they're hitting into the wind, and I suppose with the wind as well. Uh, some tips on playing with the wind. It, it feels so easy, and yet people make lots of mistakes playing downwind too. Yes, they do, and sometimes you know the wind downwind can actually knock the ball down out of the air, but if you get it... How up, so? Well, it just it depends on, I guess how hard the player is hitting it and whether they, they have launch conditions that throw the ball up in the air. Typically, it's, it's, it's going to fly farther. Um, I've seen the ball sort of, you know, get knocked out of the air in some cases. And so it kind of fools you sometimes. But, you know, hitting iron shots into greens is all about control of the ball and controlling your distance. And, you know, in a strong wind, you're, you're guessing a little bit as to how much that ball is going to carry. And you really have to pay attention to the elements that you're hitting into, whether you, you know, is it better to be short or long on certain uh, situations. So, um, you know, you make your best guess in terms of how much extra the wind will, will add to your shot and, and go from there. I mean, some people talk about that because you're downwind, there isn't as much friction with the ball going into the wind and thus spin becomes less of a factor. And I guess this also factors into what you're talking about in terms of, you know, your distance control. Absolutely. So it's it's really a, a, a great option if you if you can sort of knock the ball down in in all wind conditions. So I had a Canadian tour player I worked with uh, about a month ago, and you know he's got a, a wedge that he hits about 140, um, and we had a pretty stiff breeze into us, and we were about 100 yards from the green, just just hitting uh, pitch shots and whatnot, and he just thought he'd, he'd be best just to chip a little wedge versus trying to force a, a more lofted wedge uh, to the green. And it was, you know, flighted nice and low and, and had total control of the ball. It looked pretty easy. For most people, they're just going to take the clubs they're going to take to the range or to the course they always take. But if you've got a day in which you're going to have wind, extreme wind, and you're looking and you've got options in your, that you can put into your bag, what would you suggest to somebody in terms of the clubs they should take out on a windy day? I think, you know, what stands out initially for me is, you know, if you have a hybrid or two and, and versus a long iron, you know, if the hybrids tend to go higher um, for most players and, and if it's really windy and you're concerned about certain holes and going into a headwind, it might be more advantageous to use a, a four iron or, or a three iron or even a two iron, they, they still make them. Uh, so I got one. Um, you know, that's, you know, when I play, I, I don't normally carry a four iron. I've got two hybrids in my bag because to help me hit it higher. And, you know, if it's windy out, I might take one of those hybrids out and put the four iron back in. Mm. Now, another factor that we have to deal with all the time, well, snow is also something we deal with. But let's talk about the other version of it is, of course, is rain. Here in the summertime, in most of Canada, the rain is fairly warm, so you, you're not worried about your hands freezing up. But we've seen some torrential rains in eastern Canada. We've seen some conditions, etc. Give us some tips about when you're going out to play in wet weather. Well, number one, mentally uh, get, get ready to play. <laughs> um, you know, just assume that the event or whatever you're playing in is not going to be cancelled. Uh, so be prepared. You've got to have your rain gear 
rain suit, maybe a rain hat, you need extra towels, um, extra gloves, umbrella, all of that stuff. Um, and probably the, the key to the day is you've got to keep your grips dry and that's why you need extra towels and maybe uh, hanging your towel and gloves under the umbrella where they can stay drier. Um, you know, you, it's really hard to play with wet grips and whatnot. And you need to show a lot of patience on the course. The course will play longer because of the conditions, but uh, doesn't necessarily mean it'll play tougher. It just plays longer, and but it'll be softer. And so conditions hitting into the greens when you see the tour players play in, in wet conditions, and we saw that at the PGA. Um, you know, it's like shooting darts for them. Yeah. So uh, it can be it can be tough, but it also can can be easier too in some respects. I know earlier this summer I was privileged to play the uh, Cliffs course at Cabot Links in, in Cape Breton, and uh, the second day we played it was torrential rain. There was a lot of rain, and it was almost like a hydroplaning effect. The, the water, the, the, the ground was almost super saturated. Is, is, is there also some thought in terms of how you might adapt your swing when you have that much water in the grass? Yeah, it's, um, you know, there certainly can be some, some of that hydroplaning um, I, I would generally have a, a shorter swing, maybe work on three-quarter swing. You're, you've got some more layers on than you're used to, and it may be tougher to, to take your, your normal full motion. And any time you're in adverse conditions, it's a good idea to sort of make the swing somewhat more compact and, and focus on good solid contact. Mm. Uh, so iron play, you're, you're trying to obviously hit the ball first, but uh, um, footing can be a factor. Make sure you've got, you know, uh, proper footwear when it's wet, so you, you're not uh, losing stability. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll talk about it in a minute when we talk about sand play, but also, I guess, being being able to adapt to wet sand when you get in there is also another thing when you get out on a golf course. Yes, you need to be uh, aware of the conditions for sure. Wet sand typically compacts the sand, and so even though it it might feel heavier. Uh, and you might need a bit more speed to get through the heavy sand, but it, if it's more compacted, the ball tends to come out a little quicker mm. as well. Now, you are a golf professional. You're not a meteorologist. Uh, you're not a guy who's, who knows about forest fires particularly, but those who've been in the west as far east as Manitoba have been getting the problem of the smoke uh, and, and the effects of the forest fires in British Columbia. Uh, last weekend in Calgary was like pea soup here. You could barely, you could barely see and it was hard to breathe. Uh, some some tips about what you do when you have that kind of that. Some people just have to play. Like if you're in a tournament, you're going to have to play. Uh, how do you adapt both mentally and physically when you have a situation like that where the air is so thick and, and you have different conditions? You know, that's a tough one. Uh, I, I think we're fortunate that we don't have to deal with it too often, but it's certainly been bad uh, in the last week here. And, you know, if you're stuck and you have to play, you know, I've, I see players, the odd player with masks, face masks on, and, you know, I'm hearing through some of the doctors that maybe that doesn't uh, help so much for the, you know, the fine particles that are in the air. It's just, um, it's tough breathing, and, um, you know, I don't have a lot to really say in terms of you just have to try and, uh, you know, mentally sort of suck suck it up, so to speak, <laughs> and, and just do the best you can, but try to spend as little time outside as you can. Yeah, and, and I guess 
because you're walking, most people are walking, especially in tournaments, you just have to pace yourself. You can't, you can't go too fast because you're going to end up gasping for breath, I suppose, too. Yeah, it, all of these elements, it's all about patience, um, showing patience and, and uh, just, uh, you know, trying to block some of those elements out or embracing uh, what you're facing. You're listening to Hit Your Second Job First with Paul Horton, the PGA of Canada's te- National Teacher of the Year and National Coach of the Year. Uh, last time on Paul's Pointers, we talked a little bit about the short game, chipping and putting. By the way, you can find that and all our other podcasts on my website, notthepublicbroadcaster.com, and also the PGA of Canada. They also are uh, doing these podcasts. Uh, this episode, let's talk about a related topic sand play. For amateurs, of course, it puts the fear of God in their heart. For skilled players, a lot of them don't mind going in there. As a matter of fact, some of them like the certainties of playing out of nice fluffy sand. I guess on the subject, first, what should players be looking at in a sand sandwich uh, when they choose one for a play? Well, uh, you need to look at the loft. Uh, generally, sand wedges will run from, you know, 54 degrees to 56 and lob wedges, you know, at 58 or 60 and gap wedges would be in that sort of 50 to 52 range and you can use a lot of different clubs in the sand but in the you know the main thing about the uh, the sand wedge or whatever club you might choose to use in the sand uh, would be the flange or the sole of the club um, should you have a narrow flange or a wider based uh, flange and, and generally the wider based sole will, will help the average player sort of bounce through the sand and, and mm-hmm. prevent it from digging too much uh, and the narrower flange will um, be more versatile to the to the better player and so you know the better players tend to gravitate to the narrow flange and uh, on top of the f- the flange itself or the width of the flange is the bounce of the club and They've got all the wedge companies have the different grinds, um, you know, be it a full grind or, or less so. So the different uh, degrees of bounce um, and bounce is really the if you if you had the, the shaft standing vertical, the, the trail edge sits up higher than the, the lead edge. Um, and that angle is is the amount of bounce that you have. And, and so that can range from you know, a uh, low bounce would maybe be eight and a higher bounce would be 14 or some mm-hmm. variation in between. So, Because I know when I, when we used to go into the stores, it had an S stamped on it and you knew it was a sandwich and you go into a golf town or one of those, or your pro shop these days, it's hard to find anything that's got an S stamped on it. We see the lofts and stuff and I get confused to, well, does that look like enough flange? Is that the flange I used to remember with sandwiches? It's a bit confusing for the amateur trying to make it out now that they don't really stamp them as sandwiches anymore. Well, they do. Times have changed and, uh, you know, there's lots of players uh, that maybe didn't use the sand wedge except for just being in the sand and it's obviously a, a very useful club uh, for in and around the greens and, and pitching shots and so forth. Um, the lob wedge has become more popular over the years and um, you know you really have to understand your game and maybe talk to a, a CPGA professional in, in terms of what would be best for that person's game. You are, as we've said on all of these uh, podcasts, you are not just a golf instructor, you're a part-time psychiatrist, psychologist, whatever you want to call it, because you have to deal with the people's mentality in approaching the game. And I don't think there's anything that scares the beginner player more than the ball in the sand. 
you, you've got somebody who's, who's new to the game. How do you relax them enough to, you know, start to see the sand even as their friend? Well, the, the bunker shot is uh, certainly, especially a greenside bunker shot, is uh, very intimidating to, um, you know, the new player for sure and, and many average players out there. And, um, you know, it's, it's the one shot in golf where we don't have to necessarily be precise with, with ball contact. And in fact, in greenside bunkers, we don't want to hit the ball first. Um, and so, the, you know, the biggest fear that players tend to have is they, you know, they're, they're either bladed or they, they take too much sand and they, they're, you know, just not sure how to play the shot. And, you know, proper technique will, will cure those fears. All right, so what, what is that proper technique, if you can describe it? Well, you know, my philosophy's changed over the years, and early on, you know, I used to teach, you know, open the face a little bit, open your stance, and walk your stance around the circle so that the club face would square up to the target. And really, in doing that, I see a lot of players do that, and, and the ball position moves way too far forward. The, the body's out of position. Um, so I promote more of a, you know, a slightly open setup, but um, more square than I used to. And, and we're not trying to swing outside in and across the, the target line. We're trying to swing on a similar uh, path as our, as our normal golf swing. Um, when you open the blade of the club, the, doesn't mean the ball is going to go to the right unless you lean the handle forward. So as long as you just you spin the shaft or spin the face open and the handle is pointing back towards the middle of you, kind of, um, it just opens, it opens the loft and it doesn't change the direction of the ball. So um, I think that's a, a big issue that people need to get over. Um, when you open the face of the club, you also add bounce to the club and, and so, that's really the key to the shot is having that trail edge of the club hit the sand first mm. um, so that it stops you from digging too deep mm. uh, but it but it also if you were to lead in with with that leading edge which is a cutting edge that's a, a, a an edge that would dig into the sand and mm -hmm. that's what i see a lot of new players do they tend to dig in or they because they're set up at a position that they sort of fall back and they're trying to lift it out and then mm. the arc shallows out and they blade the ball or the, <laughs> the club swings up into the ball and um, you know if, if the ball does get out after you blade it it's usually uh, long over the green it's and, a rocket, and yeah. it's in a worse spot than you were initially so yeah. I think of the lesser of the two evils if you if you chunked it and left it in the bunker it might be a better option than the <laughs> other one but um, it's really a pretty simple shot to learn and, and once you learn the right technique, it can be, can be a fun shot to practice. A couple of variables when you get into the sand. Uh, we love going and playing that nice fluffy sand where you can do the splash and you can you know, make the sand, makes that lovely thumping noise when you hit it, etc. And sometimes you encounter that and sometimes at a lot of golf courses, particularly in Canada that I see, you almost get this cookie dough kind of sand. <laughs> that's been overwatered or rained out the sprinkler system or whatever. Uh, give us an idea, A, the difference between approaching the two, and then what, and then particularly, is there anything you need to do with wet sand? Well, I think between soft and firm sand, soft sand is, if there's a lot of sand in the bunker and it's quite soft and, and fairly deep, um, your technique would be better off using a sort of a shallower, 
uh, like a wider U-shaped type of swing, um, just to shallow out the arc so that there's uh, the bounce is more effective. Uh, the ball's typically going to come out softer, um, so you have to calibrate for that. Uh, firm sand, you know, I would promote more of a, a V-shape type swing, so V-shapes are a little bit, uh, perhaps more wrist hinge early, um, where the, the club would be coming back more upright, down more steeply into the sand and with a little bit of a flat bottom to the V, so it's more V-shape in and V-shape out for, for firm sand. And the ball's typically gonna come out faster and that V-shape will help you hit it a little bit higher and, and not quite as far. Uh, are, we, are we actually contacting the ball when we have the, the, the wetter sand? Are, are we touching the ball more than we would, let's say, with the soft sand? Well, I think for green side bunkers, I would say no. Um, we're still trying to hit a certain distance behind the ball it, you know we'll call it a few inches behind the ball and I like to keep that distance uh, that I hit behind the ball consistent and I just I change the pace of my swing to control my mm. my distance on the shot so in the sand we have to swing two or three times um, longer or with more pace than you would from grass so if you had a a 20 yard bunker shot it might play like a 50-yard shot from the fairway. In terms of uh, the length of the swing? Yeah, all depending on the sand conditions and whatnot. So yeah. you need more swing, so I, new players don't swing long enough, certainly not long enough on the follow-through, so you mm. want to have at least, um, you know, a follow-through that matches your backswing or farther in most cases. So, um, you know, the general greenside bunker would be swinging more shoulder-to-shoulder. -shoulder. Um, and if you had a... Uh, a short bunker shot where you're maybe short-sided. Um, you can take that long swing with, with a geared down pace, so more finesse pace, but mm -hmm. still accelerating through the sand. And, and if, you need, if you need more distance, you can accelerate the pace or pick up the pace a little mm -hmm. bit. Um, you know, I like to keep the weight uh, distribution at setup to be a little bit more where it might be 70-30, sort of front side versus back side. 70 front, 30 back. Yeah. 30 back, yeah, just to sort of help you with, uh, you know, sand contact in the right spot. Uh, even when players get uh, happy with their greenside uh, sand play, uh, they're still terrified by the other bunker shot, which is the, the, the fairway bunker or sometimes the waste bunker shot, etc. Different technique, what's different about it? How, how can you be successful at the longer sand shot? Well, in the fairway bunkers, we generally need more distance and, and we're either trying to get it to the green or get it back in position to get it to the green. So, you know, first off, you need to take a look at the lie and the bunker you're in and, um, and take what it gives you. So if there's a big lift that you need to, to elevate the ball quickly, take whatever club is going to clearly make it over that lip. Um, so that would be number one, once you've chosen the club. So concede that you're not gonna get maybe as long as you want to, but this is what you have to do to get out? Yeah, so if, if you're in a situation where, hey, it's, I gotta use a more lofty club to get out and I'm not likely to get to the green, then, yeah. then now you're planning for the next shot. Where do you wanna hit that from? Um, the question might come into play where, hey, I think I can maybe get it over here and get it to the green, and that's when you have to decide as a player uh, are you going to take on the risk of, of, you know, can I get six iron over the lip or do I really 
can I, can I hit seven comfortably and maybe try to get up and down from the front part of the green? Yeah. Um, so I, in terms of technique, you know, you, you want to get your feet planted. You need a, a, a firm stance to, to help your stability. Um, we're obviously trying to contact the ball first, so there, there's different theories in ball position, but you know, I, I tend to move the ball back just, just a fraction to try to create more ball contact first. Um, and maybe a three-quarter type of swing where I'm not trying to to go hard at the ball because I don't want to have slippage in my feet and that kind of thing. So. I know all those dastardly course designers have all gone back and revised. We, we used to have flat fairway bunkers all the time. There used to be ones you could almost putt out if they were so, so low. And as you just mentioned, of course, now they're putting lips on everything so you can't hit that low three iron or four iron to get it out of the sand. I hate them for doing that. <laughs> Uh, you are, of course, listening to Hit Your Second Shot First with Paul Horton, the PGA of Canada's National Teacher of the Year and National Coach of the Year. Well, as I mentioned earlier, we've seen all of the four PGA Tour majors and, of course, the Canadian Open. And uh, we are headed, of course, to PGA of Canada. Its tournaments are just about done for this season. There's still a FedEx Cup and the Ryder Cup, of course, but I think it's a good time to take stock in what we have seen so far. Do you have a player of the year in mind already? Well, I think it has to be Brooks Koepka uh, winning two majors. Um, I think that trumps all the others. And I know there's players like uh, DJ and Justin Thomas and Bubba. They've all won multiple times this year and they've had great years. And I guess things could change depending on what happens uh, in the playoffs here. But with two majors in one year... Uh, my votes for Brooks. Mm. It, the thing that's great about golf is that somebody said, oh, well, you know, now the Brooks Kepka has succeeded. Everybody's going to have to be this big, strong linebacker guy. And I said, well, wait a minute. Justin Thomas is 5'7", and Ricky Fowler is 5'7". The great thing about it is we're considering the player of the year between, let's say, Justin Thomas and, and Kepka, and, and you have totally different guys in terms of their build. I think it's a wonderful thing about golf. It is. It's, it shows you that, uh, you know, Players like Justin Thomas, who's, I think, 145 pounds soaking <laughs> wet, uh, against Brooks Kepka, who's, uh, you know, likes, likes his time in the gym. Uh, you know, different, different body styles, but Justin Thomas hits at a pretty good distance as well. And, and so all of these players that are sort of vowing for player of the year, are, are, they're all long ball hitters, despite their stature. Um, and you know Brooks has had recent success in the majors, and you know maybe it might excite players going out to the gym a little bit more. <laughs> but um, you know you just have to know your game and your body and and what it takes for you to to play better. Yeah. Uh, as I say, uh, different types of bodies, different types of golfers. Uh, let's turn our attention first of all to the PGA Tour. Uh, do you have a Canadian of the Year on the PGA Tour? Well, standout for me is. Brooke Anderson, um, I think she shot 63 this weekend, so uh, congrats to her. She's had a great season, I think. Um, so she stands out to me as, as the front runner. Um, has, has, has her game changed at all? Have you noticed any evolution in her game this year? I don't know if I have, but uh, you know, just a little more maturity and a little more consistency. Mm. Um, She's got a great head on her shoulders. She's she's fearless when she plays, and she has, you know, I think her strengths are. She has a power game that is helpful, and and you know, just if she continues to uh, 
to work on short game and improve the putting stats, you know, there's no uh, reason why she couldn't climb higher. We saw three Canadian men uh, on the final tournament of the year, all with a chance, certainly up at the top of the, of the leaderboard. David Hearn had a run at it. Uh, Corey Connors was up there. I think uh, Mackenzie Hughes also had a good finish in, in the last of the year. Uh, do you have a male player of the year? It doesn't have to be necessarily uh, Hadwin. It, it can be. But do you have a male player of the year that you liked and, and, and how far they came? Well, uh, this might be a cop but I, I copped out to Adam just because of his world rankings, and he's he's the highest-ranked player, Canadian player uh, in the world, and so I would I would give the uh, the male player of the year to him. Although it was it was pretty nice to see Nick Taylor clutch up and shoot 63 uh, yesterday. So he's earned his card. He came from 129th, I think, on the list down to one. 19 or 117 so he's in uh, the playoffs uh, yeah. so uh, who knows he could uh, you know do some damage in the playoffs you and I talked in the first episode about sort of dark horse players young players who were making moves etc who's the guy who made the biggest move this year as far as you're concerned in terms of his career um, well maybe it's Nick Taylor uh, uh, you know he, he had some moments this year but he had lots of uh, lulls and um, uh, my wife was talking to uh, Mark McCumber, who you might remember, sure. PGA Tour player, and his his son is uh, Tim McCumber, I believe it is. He's won. He just won yesterday on the Canadian Tour for the third time, and twenty uh, something under again. And um, <laughs> so Mark was talking to my wife and, and said, you know, when you play good golf, it doesn't last, and when you play bad golf, it doesn't last. Um, so these tour players, you know. They play, they, they get hot for three or four weeks of the year, and sometimes that's all it, it takes to sort of make a year successful for mm -hmm. these uh, guys that are, are trying to maintain their cards, you know, three mm -hmm. or four weeks that they earn some, some uh, you know, major dollars in those weeks, you know, that can set up the whole year. And, and that's really, the key is, is being able to set your schedule and being in that top 125. And yeah. So um, I'm not sure what I should add to that, but. Well, well, we'll see. There's still a little bit ways to go uh, for some exemptions and the status of some other Canadians, which we don't know of today. So uh, maybe we can revisit them again just before we wrap up for the season. Um, I, I know at this time of the, of the podcast, you always like to give a shout out to some of your sponsors and the people who help make things possible for you. Yeah, I'd like to thank the PGA of Canada, the PGA of Alberta, also Heritage Point Golf Club, um, Callaway Golf. Nike Golf and uh, Aimpoint Golf. Mm. And thanks from us, of course, to the PGA of Canada for putting the uh, podcasts on all year. We appreciate that very much. You've been listening to Hit Your Second Shot First with Paul Horton, the PGA of Canada's National Teacher of the Year and National Coach of the Year. I'm Bruce Dobigan. We look forward to chatting again. You can find all the podcasts on the PGA of Canada website and also on my website, notthepublicbroadcaster.com. Till then, hit them straight. Yeah, that bomb is alright.